Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined again by Forever Buff Ryan Miller. Ryan, uh, our last podcast was more positive. Colorado was coming off a victory over Arizona, and there were some glimmers of hope at that point going out to Berkeley that, hey, maybe this team had gained some confidence. But they go out to Cal and turn in another embarrassing offensive performance. The defense struggled early on, did get better in that game, but any confidence they gained beating Arizona shattered out in Berkeley. Yeah, this one's tough. I mean, yes, Cal's a good football team. Their record definitely didn't show it. What they've done against some guys in the Pac-12, you know, there's there's a couple games where, you know, Cal could very easily have upset Oregon, and they could very easily be a 500, you know, 500 or better team. And this one was – we have so much op- optimism from that last one, and to the, it just looked like a dumpster fire and without pulling any punches. Yeah, like I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. It's always going to be tough if you're a Colorado fan to watch your team lose football games, but there just isn't a whole lot of hope offensively right now. You know, that again, they fall down to 130th out of 130 FBS programs in total offense. It's just hard football to watch right now. Yeah, it's atrocious. Nate Lamon gets banged up. He's not going to play for the Buffs this Saturday in Eugene last year when he went out late in the first half against Utah in the second half of that Utah game. And then pretty much throughout the Alamo bowl, the defense really struggled without him out there. I don't think it's going to be quite that bad. We've definitely seen more life out of the CU defense uh, that I thought we did last year, even before Nate Lamon went down with that injury. What are just your expectations for this defense without Nate Lamon? I think it's going to be, kind of a good glimpse into the future, right? Because, I mean, Nate Lamon, this was going to be it for him anyway. Uh, I do I do have a little bit of optimism. Not that they're going to put together a great performance, especially going against Oregon, but I think they're a little bit better to equip him not being out there now. Well, what do you think? I would agree with you on that. Definitely not having Nate is going to be – it's going to be difficult, right? We're missing kind of the captain of that ship. But it's not to say we do not have some leadership on that side. I really like the way Carson Wall has been playing – as of late, uh, Mufasa Johnson uh, has been doing really well up in that line. We've got some youth at the cornerback positions, but those guys are holding down pretty well. I, I, I don't want to be you know, pumping air into a balloon, but I think I think we'll be okay. Uh, this defense is really, really bent, uh, and they haven't broken. They've done, I, I think, really about all that they can these past couple of games, um, and it's it's fun to watch this defense fly around and make plays. Um, Yes, Nate is only one player, but I think we still have a very good defense uh, sans Nate. And a couple of those guys that have played really well this season, Christian Gonzalez and Mekhi Blackton, a cornerback. They've got some young talent, too, at that position. Nico Reed, Kalen Moore, Tyron Taylor at cornerback, even Trevor Woods at safety. We've shown Flash his playmaking ability on special teams. I think if you're searching, and you got to kind of search at this point, uh, otherwise you, you, you fall into depression, just kind of looking for things that are positive going forward. Christian Gonzalez is going to be an NFL cornerback. I don't think there's a whole lot of question about that, but he's only a second year, so he's going to be back next year. Makai Blackman can come back. I think there's a good chance that that will happen. And, and again, young guys in that secondary, that, that's kind of the position group 
that I'm most excited about when I, I think about the future. Ryan, what are your just your thoughts on, on Christian Gonzalez in, in, in that cornerback screw? That's a tough position to play as a young kid. And he's got the ball sense about him and he knows how to play body leverage on guys. And to have to be able to lock somebody down like that and watch him fly to the ball is is, is very fun to watch and it's it's encouraging. Um, as far as like excitement goes for, for next you know, the next couple of years, I I really am excited to see how well, we don't get too much out of Guy Thomas, but he he really I think he can do some amazing things. And then Jalen Sammy too, um He's a big body down in there and can take up a ton of space. And he moves pretty well horizontally. Um, I, I think it's a good fit for him. And it just if we can get if we can get guys that can lock people down on the outside, you can fill the box and be a little bit more creative with blitz packages and whatnot and disguise your coverages. And it's it's one of those things where if you can if you don't have to double cover guys and one guy can get it done, then it really frees you up. Another positive player to talk about is punter Josh Watts. He continues to excel. I'm curious your take on this, Ryan, though. You know, are are specialist football players, how do you view punters and kickers being a a former lineman yourself? (laughs) They are definitely a different breed. I'll give you that. (laughs) Um, They have to be excellent at what they do. Long snappers, kickers, punters, that's a tremendous amount of responsibility. You fumble a snap as a punter, you you send one over the head as a long snapper. I mean, those are those are high pressure positions where if you screw up, you're giving points away. Uh, to be able to pin defenses deep, or excuse me, uh, opposing offenses deep with a punter, if you can change field position, you're making guys start inside the twenty, inside the ten. That's that's huge. Um, it's it's monstrous. I hate to have can get as much practice as he's been getting, but yeah. being able to change field position is is monstrous. You look at look at really good teams and if you can end that end that series in a kick, whether it's a punt, a field goal, you know, or or a kickoff, right? No turnovers and that sort of thing. But watching these guys change field position is, is huge, right? You're there people are coming off off the three yard, the one yard line. That's that's a long way to go to get points. Um Obviously, you wish that we were we were on the receiving end, you know, instead of delivering all that stuff. But I I would agree that that punters are kickers, and excuse me, that punters are football players as well as specialists, uh, contrary to popular belief. All right, the big topic, obviously, on this show, and we've got a lot of questions from fans that we're going to sift through here, is the fact that Carl Durrell decided to relieve Mitch Rodriguez of his offensive line coaching duties. You just don't really see this happen in the middle of the of the season often, where you you let an assistant coach go. I, I don't think it was shocking just because of how Colorado's offensive line is played, but maybe the timing of it was a little bit surprising, just because you know they had that opportunity a few weeks ago during the bye week if they wanted to make a change there, they could have. What was your reaction when you heard the news that Coach Rod, after just thirteen games as the offensive line coach, is out? I wasn't surprised. Um, I, again, I don't know if timing was necessarily the best thing, but what's done is done. And I hope that these guys can rally around themselves. Coaching changes are never easy, whether they come in season, out of season, whenever, um, we, hopefully we can get some leadership again out of this offensive line. These guys bond together and realize that it's them against the world. Uh, cause that's the mentality that they got to take right now. And they, they probably are feeling 
pretty beat up and shot at and not without good reason. Uh, we'll, we'll see moving forward. We'll see, uh, we'll see what, uh, Valet, uh, I can't, how do you say his last name? Vlachos? William Vallejos. Um, Vallejos, what he's got in front of him. It's a, it's a tall task, but I hope he's up for it. Let's jump into those questions. The first one is from Ellie Buff. He asked, why do you and Ryan think the offensive line went from a strength to a disaster in one year? I think we had, again, good leadership last year um, on the offensive line. It's, you know, as far as, as far as like really experienced players on there, it's not that deep. Um, they, they're lacking a lot of good and long game time experience. We got to, people forget that last year was a six, six game accelerated season. There's not a lot of time to get cohesion and, and things done as a unit. Um, but, you know, we, we did have a lot of success out of, out of Broussard. So, this year you kind of lose that you, you know, maybe it's a little bit of complacency. It, it, it's this, that without being in that meeting room, I can't speak to it a hundred percent, but to me, it looks like lack of leadership. And, and we just had this, this rotating carousel teacup of guys and the technique looks God awful coming from, from a technician standpoint. It just, I don't know what was going on during individual, but I'm going to start, start calling out some technique stuff because this guys are just getting flat out beat. There were a couple of comments made by coaches at practice today. We're recording this on Wednesday that I think uh, shed some light in terms of answering this question. Darian Hagan said last year, other teams knew that Sam Neuer could throw the ball and he wasn't a world beater. You know, I think his play got worse partially because of that shoulder injury he had as the season went on, but he was still a threat to throw the ball last year. And also something that Hagen said is that Sam Neuer did a good job of reading defenses. He knew what plays to get them into it at times based on what the defense was doing. And this year you fast forward to 2021, other teams are stacking the box and that's not to make a world of excuses for the offensive line, but they're facing a much bigger challenge going out there week after week in terms of what the other team is doing, knowing that, that Brennan Lewis is struggling as a first-year starter and a quarterback. So I think that's a big part of why it went from a strength to a disaster. I think, you know, losing Will Sherman obviously didn't help. Frank Phillip having that shoulder injury, missing the first start of the season, having to come back and work the rust off in season is a tougher thing. Casey Roddick missing all of the offseason due to the, the issue issue he had medically after having COVID-19 didn't help. But still, you know, that's not to excuse, you know, the offensive line. They still did bring back four starters, and it, it's a group that should have gotten better. I wonder how much of their success as an offensive line last year was kind of residual effect of Chris Kapilovich, who was their offensive line coach in 2019. They did some really good things with that group. That group got a lot better from 2018 in 2019 with coach cap taking over there, Ryan, I guess I'll ask you this, you know, as an offensive lineman, do you, you kind of hold on to what you already know, right. As an offensive lineman. So the fact that they got what's perceived to be really good coaching from coach cap in 2019 could have maybe kind of bled into 2020 and maybe less so into 2021. What, what do you think about that? It, it actually could have. Uh, and I don't know if they're teaching guys different ways to step or different techniques to do certain things, but 
anybody that's put their hand in the dirt knows that you've got 50 different ways that you can run power and 50 different ways that you can run zone. And, and once you start juggling all these different ways to do things, you kind of become a, a jack of all trades, master of none, get really good at one of it and then move forward. Um, you know, and another thing that, you know, bringing up Sam Noyer and knowing the guys can, or he could throw the ball on people is it's not that hard to, to see a stacked box and put it into a naked situation, make the whole line move one way and, and throw your quick slants. Right. So we've, we've shown that we can be a deep threat team you know, with Brennan Rice on the outside and Lewis should make those throws. That's we've all seen it, right? He just has to move out a little bit and get a solid pocket moving. And whether that means we've got to move everything elephants on the parade, right or left, it's, it's an option, and I don't think it's a difficult option. I don't think it's too much to ask uh, to start requiring a little bit more simplification of the offense for this guy. Yeah, and one other comment that was made, I mentioned there were a couple of comments made by coaches. Carl Durrell told us today, quote, and he's referring to the offense alignment. He said, they all expressed to me that they're learning more in the last couple of days than they have in quite some time. End of quote. I, I'm not one that likes to kick people when they're down. And Mitch Rodriguez is a human being. It's It sucks to get fired with five games left in a season. And so, again, I'm not trying to pile on here, but Carl Durrell said this to us today. That's a pretty telling comment that he made, don't you think, Ryan? You, you wish Coach Rob the best, but at the same time, well, uh, that's – that's difficult to swallow. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- then awesome. I hope they're able to learn this stuff and, and put it into practice. Let's move along. We got a lot more questions about the offensive line here. Buff predictor asked, Ryan has been reticent to fully disclose some of his feelings regarding the offensive line. Given new recent developments, is there anything he'd like to open up about? And he added, no is an acceptable and understandable answer. Ryan, I don't want to talk for you. I don't think you've been reticent. You've, you've been calling out leadership and, and just their physical play. So I'm going to defend you at least there. I th- think you've actually been kind of ahead of the curve in terms of your comments about this offensive line. But uh, I'll stop talking here and let you answer the question. I- I'm just curious if you have anything to add. There. Well, if if he doesn't think I've been – uh, opening up about the offensive line, uh, I guess I say thanks. Um, I I don't feel like I've been shy about my thoughts on offensive line play, but if there was any, if there was any muddy water, let me clear it up right now. I think it's been garbage, hot dumpster fire, and I want if any of the offensive line hears this, I'm not saying take it personal, but I'm saying do something about it. I love any and all shapes and sizes buffs. Put your hand in the dirt. You're out on the outside. I don't care. But there's a special place in my heart for O-linemen. And fellas, when it gets tough, you better figure it out. Because nobody else in that room is going to want you to succeed except for the guys around you. And plain and simple, there it is. You all need to pick it up. And this could be a springboard for them. New coach. Uh, maybe some guys are going to get some opportunities to do things. Who knows? But uh, Adam, I, I appreciate you you getting my back on that one. But uh, I, I don't think 
the offensive line play this season has been up to par, even close. And Brian, you can just hear the passion in your voice there. I appreciate the the candid answer there. Chili Buff asked, is this really just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic type of moment? Or could this actually be a realizable change to the offensive line? Where does Ryan think changes need to occur to build some success towards winning? I think it's an excellent question. Uh, I hope we're not rearranging chairs, but I don't know. Um, now, that being said, when teams have a have a stable offensive line, that opens the door to a whole lot of other things. You know, we get a few more first downs, defense gets breathers. We're able to open up a few more run lanes. Now the play auction pass comes to it. Um, you get some RPOs available. It's There's so much that starts on the offensive line. That's why there's five guys there for crying out loud. I mean, it's, it's almost half of the offense right there. Um, I hope it is a real, uh, excuse me, a big old change for these guys. Can't speak right now. Uh, change that needs to happen. We have to get better play out of the O-line. Plain and simple. And if it starts there, everybody hears the cliches, defenses win championships, and it all starts up front. You can move the line of scrimmage and win the line of scrimmage. You're going to be a lot more successful team. What made me feel like they were rearranging the chairs on a Titanic was more when they kept rotating guys in, into the game instead of like like you had criticized and we talked about on the podcast of not settling with a group of five. That that felt more like rearranging chairs than this is an actual change. In, there's only five games left in the season. I, it's not like you can go through a whole preseason camp now with new voices in that room. So it, it's t- it's going to be tough on the fly with William Vallejo's taking over and Donovan Williams, you know, maybe stepping up and have a little bit more of a voice in that room. He had been with that group as a graduate assistant already. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of how I'd answered. I, I don't, I don't think, I think more of the kind of the personnel issues of rotating guys felt more like rearranging chairs than actually making a change and realizing that, that you've got to have a different voice in that room. Moving along. Next question is from movie buff. He asked, William Vallejo steps onto the field for his first day of practice. What do you do? Where do you start in fixing arguably the worst position on the team? What would you do, Ryan, if you were in that Uh, position? He has got, in my opinion, a clean slate. He can do really whatever he wants uh, because I think they're at rock bottom without being too blunt. Uh, He has an opportunity here to to really make his – put his stamp on it. this is a, I think this is his first major role um, as a head position coach and not being an assistant, not being a GA. Uh, the kid's got, I say the kid, this coach has got some phenomenal knowledge behind him. You know, he had a, a, a short time in the NFL. I think ho- hopefully he can do some, do some good stuff with these guys. He's got a lot, a lot of uh, blue sky in front of him. EKH 11 asked, who are the five current buffs Ryan would start by position? Uh, I I think we're going to start on the interior three. I want to see. Uh, I think Kerry's been – he's done some okay stuff. He's one of the, the seniors out there. I want that leadership on there. Uh, when Colby Purcell plays well, he can, he can do some good things. Casey Roddick, technique-wise, needs a lot of work, but he's a big body in there, and he can be nasty at times. I think the rust with Frank Phillips, hopefully can come off. Um, 
And then left tackle for me, nobody's really proven that they can get it done yet. Uh, I, I'm going to go with go with Wiley um, purely because I want to see I want to see that kid develop. I think he's got some skills with it, but with all this shuffling around, I, I, I again I I haven't gathered enough information to see if guys are having a good series or if they have a a good connection with the guy next to them. So that's that's where I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I I asked the same question to you, Adam. What do you think? I would maybe see what Max Ray can do out there. He was struggling before he got knocked out of the Minnesota game, but yeah, it, it's not like you've got some magic guy on the on the sideline. They would have already inserted him into the game and stuck with that, right? I mean, uh, I I, 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 I yeah yeah we, they've already tried that. We both agree that though they they do have to settle on a group. And don't be bringing Jared Lichtenhan out there. Maybe he's got a bright future down the road, but you need to settle on a group. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but maybe I would like to see Max Ray out there again if he's physically able to do that because this is a guy that mm-hmm. started a game for Ohio State last year, graded out well in that game. And uh, the reason he left that program is just because they have so much talent on the offensive line. So he's got talent. If he's healthy and ready to go, that's – who I would like to see at left tackle. Trevmon28 asked, how long does it take on average from the time they step foot on campus to develop a competent power five tackle? There's a lot that goes into that. Gosh, the speed of the game uh, from high school to college is, is so, just such a large leap, such a big pill to swallow. Golly, I think, I think it takes probably, probably a year and that's a year with consistent practice, a consistent coaching staff, a good spring, a good off season. There's a lot of ifs that go into that. Um, and plain and simple, either you got it or you don't. Um, there's a lot of maturity that comes from that freshman to sophomore year. And I guess we'll see. Um, that's oof, There's a lot that goes into that question. But that, I think if, if I'm going to answer it, I'm, I'm going to say – a year with an X factor of an excellent off season and spring ball. Yeah, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, everybody's going to develop at a little bit of a different rate. You played four games into your college career as a true freshman. Were you ready at that point? No. <laughs> I don't appreciate, think, appreciate the I honesty. Don't think I was. Um, you know, Grimey had faith in me, and I. Uh, I'm not saying that I had it. I'm not saying that I knew what it was going to be like, but I just knew that I wasn't going to get outworked. Um, and I guess that maybe that's the reason. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I, I still don't think I, I was competent, but anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, it, obviously it helps if a guy can be an early enrollee. That kind of accelerates the timeline a little bit. Um it does yeah. feel though, like it, yeah. it does feel like it's a couple years though, for for on average for a guy to seem to get to that point. Well, and and to that, you know, you said that, and it, it made me think. I I enrolled in the summer, right? I took summer classes before before really that first fall season. So, and that's a non-COVID thing again, right? We get into this weird year of where guys can get together when when can you actually have a full team practice? So it's probably, it's probably longer because you're missing guys are missing opportunities to get together. 
Um, I didn't even think about that. That was an excellent point you brought up. Flatirons Buff asked, do you think Chev will be let go? We're kind of transitioning here from offensive line talk to some other uh, negative topics as well. Uh, he also asked, do you think CU will spend enough to get a real OC that'll be given free reign to run the offense he wants to? I, I do think these are Darren Chevroni's last five games as an assistant coach, as an offensive coordinator at Colorado. And, yeah, I hope people, if that is indeed the case, people are respectful. This is a guy that bleeds black and gold and obviously had a great playing career at CU and came back in 2016 and really energized Colorado's recruiting efforts and did such a great job in that role. And, uh, you know, it hasn't worked out the way anybody wanted with him as the offensive coordinator this time around. And so I think that's a change they're going to have to make there um, in terms of whether or not they'll get a real OC that'll be given free reign. I mean, part of that's on Carl Durrell too. Is he willing to bring in a guy and uh, be hands off and, and let that guy, and hopefully if they, they do get a new OC, it's it's an innovative guy that, that um, doesn't try to do too much with these guys. I've never really been a fan of being too multiple offensively because you only have so many hours with these college kids. I think you want to create an identity and stick to that. Obviously you, you don't want to be predictable. And that's been, even as multiple as they've been this year, they, we, we keep hearing, you know, that other teams are calling out their plays and, and obviously uh, you need to bring somebody in that, that creates an identity yet, they're not easy to game plan against. Uh, I guess that's easier said than done, but uh, I don't know. Do you have any comments on that question that we got, Ryan? Yeah, I don't think it all falls on Chef. Um, he's a phenomenal human being. He's a hell of a recruiter. Um, but a lot of this, you know, a, a lot of being successful is making sure that you can run the plays that are called. And when folks aren't performing, it makes those plays very difficult to run. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's always two hands in each jar, and and with that, we are predictable. You look at a lot of our our formations, and a lot of the way we, you know, we shift and move into something. It's 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 pretty statistically easy to see. Well, it's going there, um, and that's hard enough to get the job done when guys don't know where you're going. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if he's going to be there after these five games. All right. Buck and Fuffalo asked Buck and Fuffalo. That's definitely one of my favorite uh, usernames on most AP. <laughs> he asked, what is your sense of how much Carl Durrell has been involved in developing both the offensive scheme and the play calling, which have lacked creativity and, and diversity? If the answer is significantly involved, then color me very pessimistic. So, so the, uh, yeah. So this is a fun podcast, huh, Ryan? I, I knew that was going to be the case after, after the Cal game. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the offense they're running right now is different than what they ran when Darren Cheverini was the play caller before. And obviously we know that he came from Texas Tech, uh, had tried to bring a lot of air raid concepts with him. So clearly Carl Durrell is involved in developing the offensive scheme. He's been very adamant that, you know, play calling that he does not want to have to do that on game days. He says he's got enough on his plate. So uh, as far as we know, that that is Darren Cheverini calling the plays. Um, but, you know, we're not in the champion center. So I don't know exactly how involved Carl Durrell is in terms of uh, their game planning each week. Uh, we're not in the building. I don't I can't put a percentage on that. 
Um, I, I mean, I've said, like I just said with the last question, I think the best thing for Colorado football going forward is that you get an innovative o- offensive coordinator and you let him run the show. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think a good head coach hires offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and position coaches and lets them do their job. I mean, you're a manager uh, when you're when you're a head coach. If things aren't going well, you address it. And obviously, we don't need to go down that road. But uh, let let guys do what they need to get to do. And unless it's blatantly broken, again, you know, don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, that's that's kind of my mentality on, on a, what a head coach should and how and should act. And I, I think we're past that if it ain't broke part. 505 Buffs asked, Ryan, coming from a player's perspective, what does the player's sideline behavior mean or can anything be inferred? Joking and, and laughing when you're getting blown out and not being upset, getting in people's faces. A few board posting state players don't care anymore or have given up and Calderell has lost the locker room. Does this ring true to you or is it much to do about nothing? I will be the first to say that I definitely got into some people's faces in the stands when I played. Um, now, should I have? Probably not. That's another thing. But <laughs> when you're on the sideline, you're getting your absolute tail kicked in, and there's this jovial business about, I can't stand it. That's not to say I'm not against guys having a good time and playing loose, but when you're over there not involved in the game, it absolutely trickles down throughout the entire sideline. I can't stand it. And maybe it's just a newer era of, of players, you know, especially with, with media and, and guys wanting to be happy and smiley and, and have a good time. But the way I looked at it is you have a job to do and you need to be professional in that job, how you carry yourself, your stature. It, it means a lot. And even if you are getting blown out, still be in the game. Uh, and and that it takes a lot of maturity to do that, um, and clearly we're seeing there's probably not as much as much of that as there should be, in my opinion. Yeah, um, it, it it doesn't take it, it it only takes a few guys to really make that seem like it's more the case than it really is, right? I mean, I've I've seen these guys coming off the field after losses and. Uh, most of those guys are pretty heartbroken. I don't know, you know, but again, it could be a couple of players that get shown on camera that are joking. And then all of a sudden it makes the whole team look bad. Right. And I don't think, I don't want to see guys tanking, but at the same time, maybe this isn't the best time to crack jokes. Yeah. Jordan 09 asked, who are the team leaders on offense? From an outside perspective, it looks like a rudderless ship. Well, Brady Russell is, is a really good leader, and he leads by example, and he's a vocal leader, but he's one guy on offense, and he's a tight end. Uh, so there's only so much Brady Russell can do. Kari Kutch and Colby Purcell are really good leaders by example, but you know they, they haven't maybe gotten outside their comfort zone enough in terms of being vocal leaders. Jarrell did say that Brendan Lewis has been a good leader, but he'd also – you know, kind of clarified that comment by saying he's been a good leader at times. So, I mean, it, it's tough on Brendan Lewis. If he's struggling as a first-year quarterback, it's tough to lead guys because he's having a hard enough time just individually figuring things out. Um, but there, there's no question. And, and Brendan Rice 
had made some comments after the Cal game this past Saturday that they are lacking, you know, really good leadership on offense. Whereas you look on defense and they've got more veteran guys over there that, that are doing a better job of leader leadership. So that has been an issue just with their offense in terms of not, not enough guys, you know, there's not that Philip Lindsay or Sefal Lufo on that side of the ball. That's really, uh, you know, when things are down, keeping guys together. And so that, that has been an issue on this football team. Yeah, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I think Brady Russell is the only guy on offense that deserves a see right now. Yeah. I mean, and you need more than that, obviously. So that, that has been an issue. Taser94 asked, Ryan, have you ever considered getting into coaching? Oh, this again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, I did a little bit of high school stuff in Colorado. Um, more as a, I guess, a substitute teacher in a, a couple of weeks at a time. Um, I don't know what that looks like for me as far as coaching goes. Uh, there's a lot that you want to give to kids. I still do. I, I guess I train, I do train kids uh, for the NFL and some, some college level and some, some high school kids on a more, uh, I guess, private level. Uh, just because I don't think that there's enough time in the day to give kids all of the the knowledge you can when it comes to a specific sport. Um, I guess that's a long answer to a short question. Um, yes, I've considered it. I still don't know if I will pursue it like I probably should. It's a tough gig. I mean, I don't envy these guys that have to uproot their family and, and everybody points out, the type of money that these head coaches are making now in college football, but it takes a long, windy, rough journey to get to that point. And yes, yeah, CU's assistant coaches are paid well, but again, it's it's a tough gig to get into. I mean, you gotta be really passionate about yeah, it. It's, a, it's still a lot of work. If you've never held a card, or if you've never stood behind somebody that held a card, and guys that play football get this, there are people that have to watch all that film and do all of that that dirty grunt work and make the cards and be the scout team coach. And it is a thankless job. And if you were a card coach, when I was playing, I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. And I thank you for everything that you did that nobody saw when you were at the facility till Oh, 200. Oh, and, and nobody saw it, but that's where successful teams are is they have those good staffs, those good GAs that, that get the work done that nobody sees. Um, and that's generally where you have to start out if you want to to progress into the assistant level. And you're not getting paid. Maybe you'll get, you know, some schooling with it, but uh, but that is, you're living on crackers from from yeah. the guys that I know that, that do that right now. So Yeah. Well, that's it for the fan questions. Uh, William Vallejos, here you go. You get to lead the offensive line. And, and uh, oh, by the way, your first week you're going uh, number seven, Oregon. And there's this guy, Kayvon Thibodeau, on Oregon's team that's projected as number one pick in the NFL draft for, for 2022. So uh, good luck with that. It's it's going to be a nice challenge for, for that offensive line group uh, with, with uh, William Vallejos taking over there. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ryan, with this game going out to Eugene? Obviously, no one's going to give the Buffs much of a chance here. We we have seen Oregon play down to opponents this year, but uh, again, it's tough to have a whole lot of optimism about this Saturday's game. If I got anything to say, I say screw them. It's you against the world right now, bud. And the guy played offensive line at Bama. 
I think it's it's him against it's them and that uh, and that uh, that O line group against the world. Shock the world, man! I believe in you guys. I know that there's good guys on that O line, and they can be. Maybe they just need the right kind of glue, and I hope you're that glue, brother. Go get them. That's that's where I'm going to stay, and that's where I'm going to put my nail. Awesome. I love it. I'm traveling out to cover that game in, in, at Odson Stadium. And, uh, yeah, I would uh, love nothing more than to, you know, not just have constant negativity uh, after that game. So hopefully they, they go out there in, in, in battle. So, Ryan, uh, hopefully we can connect again next week. And, uh, again, hopefully we've got uh, a little bit more positive things to talk about on, on our next podcast. Absolutely, Adam. Appreciate it, bud.